chapter 13. I overshot when I was looking for it. Mark's the little gospel. Mark chapter 13. It says there in verse 12, Brother will betray brother to death and a father his child. Children will rebel against their parents and have them put to death. All men will hate you because of me, but he who stands firm to the end will be what? Saved. He who stands firm to the end will be saved. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for your word, your eternal your powerful, your living word that is active and ready in our lives today just as much as it was 2,000 years ago. God, your word is alive. Let it become alive in our hearts today. Whether we're here in this building, whether we're watching online, let your word go forth and change us. And then, God, let your word come out of us to change others. We love you and praise you, Jesus. May your anointing be upon your word through your servant today in Jesus' name. And everyone said, amen. You may be seated. I started a series a couple of weeks ago, and then we had powerful teaching last Sunday by Dr. Alan Bullock and Anush Bullock uh, last Sunday night. That was powerful and awesome. But I felt like the Lord wanted me to come back to the subject of is this the end, and I really have thought about changing the title to the end is near, (laughs) because I believe that we are on the edge of the end. We are what the Bible calls and what Jesus calls the end of days. We're on the end of days or the beginning of the end. I fully believe that with all of my heart. Now, I told you a couple weeks ago, but I want to remind you that the Word of God is approximately a third prophetic in nature. In other words, a third of the Bible that you hold in your hands speaks of the things to come. Some of those things have already been fulfilled. We know that Jesus came. Can somebody say praise God? He came the first time as a baby in a manger, and he came exactly as it was prophesied through almost 900 different prophetic utterances and words. The word of God is true and came true. That's one of the reasons we can know that the word of God is something we can depend on. The word of God is something we can trust because of the prophecies that were accurate, of the exact prophecies that were accurate and came through. Yet, if Jesus came the first time, there are prophecies, hundreds of prophecies about him coming again, and he will come again. He said to his disciples he was coming again. And so there are questions that that can be answered through the word of God about the end of days. Two weeks ago, I addressed the specific signs that Jesus gave, 21 different signs of the end of days out of Matthew chapter 24. Wednesday night, I know that many of you are not here, but you can join us online. You can go back on our Facebook page and watch again. I specifically addressed the reunion of the saints in the air, i.e. the rapture. 
I, I went through 45 minutes of Scripture talking about how that I know the rapture is a real thing, that the rapture is going to come, and the rapture will happen. It's imminent. Jesus is coming again for a bride that is spotless and without wrinkle. Come on, somebody. He is coming again. And you can go there and you can watch that and you can talk about that. I'm sure I'll mention the rapture again in this series, but I focus primarily on that on Wednesday night. Now I want to focus on what is going to happen after the rapture. In other words, immediately after the church is taken out of the earth, there are going to be things that are going to happen. And some people say, why do we even concern ourselves with those things? Why does it matter if if I'm a Christian, if I'm a believer and I'm going to be in heaven rejoicing with the other saints of old around the throne room of God? Why does it even matter what happens after that? Look at your neighbor right now and say it matters. It matters because there will be people that, you know, and I know that will have to live through the tribulation. And I believe we as believers have a responsibility to look at these things, to read these things, to know these things. God would not have left his word if he didn't think that we needed to know about them. That's enough for me. If God said it, I need to read it. I need to study it. I need to believe it. Can somebody say amen to that? But also, we have a responsibility And I know that there's this kind of view, kind of like our little uh, graphic up here of of people holding signs with long, long white beards and smelly robes and, you know, walking the streets of New York saying the end is near. That's not what I'm talking about. I I don't have any problems with sign holders. But what I do have a problem with is the church that looks at that and says, I don't want to look like that. Therefore, I'm going to keep my mouth shut. We've got to open our mouth. I said, we've got to open our mouth. In fact, Jesus said to his disciples, go tell the people the kingdom of God is near. It's part of the message of the gospel to declare and to cry out that things are going to change in the earth. And if you're not right, you're going to be left. Oh, some of you that you missed that. I said, if you're not right, you're going to be left. And if you're left, you're going to go through a lot of things you don't want to go through. Mm. Let's go back to Mark chapter 13. Mark chapter 13 mirrors in many ways Matthew chapter 24. Mark is always kind of that smaller gospel. He condenses some things down. But I want you to hear this, that when you read in Mark chapter 13 and many of the things in Matthew chapter 24, many of the things we're reading are before the rapture. And then some of them are after the rapture. Look, and we're going to pick up with verse 14 says, but when Jesus said, but when you see the abomination of desolation standing where it should not be, let the reader understand Also, we need to understand that when Jesus said this, he was specifically quoting from Daniel chapter 9. The abomination 
that causes desolation is not just some statement that he made. It's a direct quote of Daniel's prophecies throughout the book of Daniel. We're going to see that, especially through Daniel 6 through 13. He says, then those who are in Judea must flee to the mountains. The one who is on the housetop must not go down or go in to get anything out of his house. And the one who is in the field must not turn back to get his coat. But woe to those who are pregnant and to those who are nursing babies in those days. Look at verse 18. But pray that it may not happen in the winter. And I want us to pause here for a moment. Why would Jesus tell us to pray that these things won't happen in the winter if he didn't believe and he wasn't saying to us things can change? Is the tribulation going to happen? Absolutely. Is the rapture going to happen? Absolutely. We can't change those things. But there are things that we can see in prayer change. I believe Jesus is telling us it's time to believe in prayer. And you better be praying. If you don't make it in the rapture and you come out on the other end, we're going to talk about who those people are. But you're in the tribulation. Maybe you're watching this many, many years from now. Or maybe you're watching this and and millions upon billions of Christians have suddenly disappeared. Let me just tell you, it wasn't aliens that took them. We're not gone because of some alien invasion. And if you're watching this, you need to listen. If somehow this slipped out of of the control of the Antichrist media network, then know this. You can still be saved. You can still be saved. We're going to talk about that in a moment. But prayer changes things. Let's move to verse 19. For those days will be a time of tribulation. Some, this is the NASB. Some of your translations may say distress, of great distress. It will be a time of tribulation such as has not occurred since the beginning of the creation which God created until now and never will be again. Verse 20, unless the Lord had shortened those days, no life would have been saved. But for the sake of the elect whom he chose, he shortened the days. And then if anyone says to you, behold, here is the Christ or behold, he is there. Do not believe him for false Christ and false prophets will arise and will show signs and wonders in order to lead astray, if possible, the elect. But take heed. Behold, I have told you everything In advance. Jesus said, I have told you everything in advance. Can I talk to the church for a moment here? We do not have to be in the dark about the end days. We don't have to be in the dark. Jesus said, I've told you these things in advance. As we study the scripture, as we delve into the scripture, we can know things are coming. I want to encourage you to read Matthew 24 over these next couple of weeks. I want to encourage you to read the book of Revelation. If you can't read it all, then read Revelation 6 through 13 especially. And during this time, Revelation reveals this time of tribulation as seven seals that will be broken. Let me remind you, this is after the rapture. This is after the redeemed have been rescued. And you still, I know some of you have a question about that, but I'm going to answer that in a moment. But seven seals are broken. And we say, well, what does that mean, a seal? 
Well, imagine an ancient scroll, right? I mean, the ancients didn't have a nice bound book like this to carry around. What did they have? They had scrolls. Um, many years ago, there were some writers and, uh, that would scribe out on the scrolls the Scripture, and they sealed them up and they hid them. And just in the 1960s, I believe it was, when some boys were throwing rocks into a cave, they heard a crash. And they went in and found very ancient scrolls and went and told some adults. The adults told some, some uh, others. And they began to find these things that we now call the Dead Sea Scrolls. Ancient, ancient physical writings of Scripture that, guess what, matched exactly what we have today. Imagine that. Imagine that. The Scripture is more reliable than any other book that has ever been produced. Do you know that even some of Shakespeare's writings are contended today and contested today because of some of the original writings that they found compared to what we have today? Just a few hundred years. And yet the Scripture continues to remain forever. Can somebody say amen? I want you to look at your neighbor and say, you can trust the Word of God. Now, in the seals... We have seven that I just want to talk about. I'm not going to go into them specifically. I just want to mention them. Seal number one was the rider on a white horse. Seal number two is war, rider on a red horse. Seal number three was a rider on a black horse representing famine. Seal number four was the rider on the pale horse, which represented death by sword, famine, pestilence, this one's really scary, by wild beast. Millions are going to be killed during this time by those, by those things. Seal number five is the martyrs crying out. In other words, those who have been persecuted, who have been killed for their faith over the centuries, will be crying out under the altar, Lord, when will our blood be avenged for? And God's going to look at them and say, in just a few minutes. Seal number six will be the terror of the great day of wrath of the Lamb. <laughs> if, if death by sword, famine, pestilence, wild beasts, war, and all of those weren't enough, then there's going to be a day of wrath of the Lamb. Everybody thinks of the Lamb of God as this nice, gentle thing. In fact, somebody, you know, said Mary had a little lamb. His fleece was white as snow, right, everywhere. That Mary would go, the lamb was sure to go, right? And, and we just see this little, oh, it's this cute little lamb. One day that little lamb is going to turn into a wrathful lamb. I'm not making this stuff up. You can read it. The wrath of the lamb is going to be the most terrifying day in history. Remember what we read in Mark chapter 13. Jesus said, that what is going to happen during these days cannot be paralleled to anything that has happened before or has ever happened or will ever happen again. This is why that these events in Matthew chapter 24, Mark chapter 13, Daniel, Revelation, this is why we know they haven't happened yet. Because every time we think something really bad has happened, something worse happens. Hello? Hello? I just told you that, that this blast that happened in Lebanon is one of the worst ever 
in history. I'm sure that on the day that the hydrogen bomb was dropped on Hiroshima, I'm sure that that, or the atomic bomb was dropped on Hiroshima, that was one of the worst days in history. Hello? And yet, there's worse coming. Seal number seven is the trumpets and the golden censure. Anybody know what the golden censure is? Do you know what the golden censure is? The golden censure is filled, the Bible tells us. It's filled. Do you know what it's filled with? Now, before I tell you, this censure, the Bible tells us, is going to be thrown down onto the earth like a massive fireball, and it's going to hit the earth and shake the entire world. And for those who have survived to this point, another third of them will die just from that. Do you know what that golden bowl is filled with? Anybody know? Come on, somebody that knows, say it out loud. It's filled with the prayers of the saints. Tell me our prayers are not powerful. I dare you, fight me on this. Our prayers filled with faith are some of the most powerful weapons on the entire planet. And God is going to say that the tears of the saints and the cries of the martyrs and the prayers of the saints are going to finally build up to a tipping point. And God is going to say, enough is enough. And he's going to end it. He's going to end injustice. He's going to end all of, of the things that have bothered us for a millennia. He's going to end all of the lies, all of the cheating, all of the degradation, all of the things that man has done is going to build up to a point where God is going to say enough. And he's going to cast our prayers down on the earth. Makes you wonder what we're praying about, doesn't it? Now, let's get back to this. A quick read through these chapters reveals that Mark 1320 says, unless the Lord had shortened those days, no life would have been saved. We can understand that. We can understand that. So even though we know that these things have not taken place yet, the the question is then when? When will these things take place? I can tell you these things will take place immediately after the rapture over a seven-year period that Daniel calls a week. A week meaning seven years, each day meaning a year. A week. These describe the great distress or what others call the great tribulation. And they will happen. And they will, they will, they will be awful. The black plague will seem like the flu season. Hurricane Katrina will seem like a casual rain shower. The 2004 Indian Ocean tsunami that killed 227,898 people will seem like a distant shadow of a nightmare. 
World War II deaths numbered the most of any other world war at 56 million. But it will just seem like a precursor fight with the wars of Gog and Magog during this tribulation. Nothing we have seen will compare to these days. Nothing. Nothing. Can I tell you, church, we've got to tell people about Jesus Christ. They may not survive the tribulation. They may not survive it. Almost three-quarters of the world population at that time will die during the tribulation. We cannot chance it. We've got to stop looking at ourselves and saying, how can we get more healthy, wealthy, and wise? And it's about saying, we have, a, we have a knowledge of Scripture. We have a knowledge that Jesus is coming, and people need the Lord. We've got to stop thinking, how can I, I get more? And instead say, how can I give more? Jesus is coming. The tribulation is not some cute little thing. It's going to be utter destruction. So the question I come back to earlier, will we as believers suffer the wrath of God in the tribulation? Will we as believers who are living today suffer the wrath of the Lamb on that day? I want you to turn in your Bible to 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. As I said Wednesday night, I focused on the rapture, which I focused primarily in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. And after giving instructions about this catching away and about this glorious reunion of the dead in Christ will rise first, and we who remain will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and we will be with the Lord forever from that moment on. After this catching away, this harpazio, this rapture in Latin, First Thessalonians chapter 5 says, Now, brothers and sisters, about times and dates, we do not need to write to you, for you know very well that the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. While people are saying peace and safety, destruction will come on them suddenly. As labor pains on a pregnant woman, they will not escape. But you, look at your neighbor and say, but you. Come on, look at your neighbor and say, but you. Brothers and sisters are not in darkness so that this day should surprise you like a thief. You are all children of the light and children of the day. We do not belong to the night or to the darkness. So then let us not be like others who are asleep, but let us be awake and sober. For those who sleep, sleep at night, and those who get drunk, get drunk at night. But since we belong to the day, let us be sober, putting on faith and love as a breastplate and the hope of salvation as a helmet. Look at verse 9. This should give us so much hope. For God did not appoint us to suffer wrath, but to receive salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ. Can somebody say hallelujah? Hallelujah. 
We are not called to suffer wrath. Verse 10, he died for us so that whether we are awake or asleep, we may live together with him. Therefore, encourage one another and build each other up just as, in fact, you are doing. Now, if that's not enough convincing for you, that verse, how many of you know that that any time there is theology to follow, it's not just going to be in one place of the Bible. It's going to be in other places. So I want you to turn to Jesus' own words right now. Turn to Luke chapter 17. Luke chapter 17, verse 22. Luke 17, 22. And then he said to his disciples, the time is coming when you will long to see the days of the Son of Man, but you will not see it. People will tell you, there he is, or here he is. Do not go running after them. Do you know that there's actually people today in certain nations that say that that I'm the Savior that was spoken of in Scripture? There are people today that have followers of millions, and they do signs and wonders. They do healing and all kinds of stuff. And they say, I'm the Messiah. Jesus already told us, don't even pay attention to him. If they're not coming, breaking through the clouds and you don't all see him, then don't even pay attention to him. For the son of man, verse 24, in his day will be like the lightning, which flashes and lights up the sky from one end to the other. But first he must suffer many things and be rejected by this generation. How many of you know that has happened? Verse 25 happened. Verse 26, this is where I want us to focus as we finish this out today. Just as it was in the days of Noah, so also will it be in the days of the Son of Man. People were eating and drinking, marrying and being given in marriage up to the day Noah entered the ark. Then the flood came and destroyed them all. It was the same in the days of Lot. People were eating and drinking, buying and selling, planting and building. But the day Lot left Sodom, Fire and sulfur rained down from heaven and destroyed them all. It will be just like this on the day the Son of Man is revealed. On that day, no one who is on the housetop with possessions inside should go down to get them. No one, likewise, no one in the field should go back for anything. Remember Lot's wife. Did you know that that statement is in the prophetic that Jesus is speaking of in the end times? Interesting. Interesting. Verse 33, whoever tries to keep their life will lose it. And whoever loses their life will preserve it. I tell you, on that night, two people will be left in one bed. One will be taken, the other left. Two women will be grinding grain together. One will be taken, the other left. Two men will be in the field. One will be taken and the other left. Where, Lord, they asked. And he replied, where there is a dead body, there the vultures will gather. Now, hear your pastor today, because I've got a few points I want to finish out with. The day of the Lord is going to be like the day of the flood and the day of Sodom and Gomorrah's destruction. Jesus tells us that expressly, clearly. So what does that look like? Well, let me give you these points. First of all, everyone will be doing normal things, eating, drinking, buying, selling, building, marrying, and then surprise, sinners! He shows up. He shows up. Remember, to the sinful and the unrighteous, he will come like a thief in the night. 
To the righteous, we will not be taken unawares. But it will be a surprise for sinners all over the world. It'll be a surprise for so many. Let me tell you something. If someone tells you Jesus is coming on this day because there's a major financial collapse in the world right now, don't listen to them. Why? Because it's going to come as a surprise. Did you just hear what Jesus said? People are going to be buying and selling. That means commerce is going to continue. The worldwide financial collapse will not happen while we're here. That's bold. Now, does that mean that nations won't be shaken? No. Nations are going to be shaking. Finances are going to shake throughout the world. Right now, we speak of Lebanon earlier and prayed for Lebanon. For how many months has Lebanon been in one of the worst financial shapes it's ever been? For many months. Where, where you could only withdraw at one point every two weeks about 100 American U.S. dollars, the equivalent of that, every two weeks you could withdraw from the bank. That's pretty bad financially. But is that happening worldwide? No. A worldwide financial collapse will not take place as long as the church of Jesus Christ is here. You're being bold, Pastor. Yes, I am. Because I believe in the Word of God. Buying and selling are going to continue. Guess what? People are still going to get married. There may be, Jesus may come in the middle of someone's wedding ceremony. Wouldn't that be crazy if two people are at the altar and one is taken and the other not? I pray that doesn't happen. Young people, single people, don't marry a sinner. Marry a saint of the Most High God. Amen? Don't waste your time. Because you want to go together. Surprise. He said things are going to be fairly normal. Things are going to be happening. People are going to be saying even, hey, peace and safety. Things, hey, things have turned around. The markets have turned around. Don't you think, let's just, let's just be very conservative. Don't you think if Jesus came today and two billion people disappeared in a moment that that might cause a slight financial crisis? What do you think is going to cause the crises of the tribulation? The rapture. When planes are falling out of the sky because Christian pilots who are piloting them are no longer piloting them, 9-11 is going to seem like a cakewalk. When not everybody has gotten their Tesla self-driving car and all of a sudden hundreds of thousands of vehicles are careening off the road because the driver disappeared, how many of you know it's going to cause a little mayhem? Have you thought about these things? I think some of the older in the crowd have thought about some of these things. I don't know if some of the younger ones have. But I just want Jesus to wait to come back until I get married. No, you really don't. He's better. I love my wife. I love my children. But he's better than anything you've ever found. Oh, it's quiet in this great cathedral. Okay, let me move on. Secondly, talking about 
the day of Jesus' return. As believers, you just know. As believers, you're just going to know. Think about it. Noah knew a hundred years before the floodwaters came that there was a flood coming. Noah was given the instructions to build the ark at 500. He finished it at 600 years old. Go to your Bible. You'll see it. He knew for a hundred years he built a boat. For a hundred years he gathered wood. For a hundred years he gathered the nails. Some of his Shem, Ham, and Japheth, I, I believe it was either two or three of them, were born during that hundred years. They were literally weaned on Papa building a boat. That was all they knew. And the Bible declares that Noah was a preacher of righteousness, that he didn't keep it to himself, but he stood up and he would stand on his little platform that he had just created and he would say, there's a flood coming. And people would laugh at him and say, there's not a lake within thousands of miles of here. There's a flood coming. There's a flood coming. Listen, you're going to know. But he didn't know the exact day, did he? The Bible says, until God said, now get the animals, they're coming your way, get them in, close the door. When he closed the door, church, what happened? The rain started. Lot knew a day before. But listen to me, saints. Who knew before Lot? Hello? Who knew before Lot? Abraham. Abraham, the righteous. We could question Lot's righteousness, but we can't question Abraham's righteousness. He knew long before Lot did. You're going to know. Some saints. Can I just, can I take a poll? How many of you saints just know something is up? Would you just raise your hand? I'll just put it like that. You just know something's up. Something's shifting in your spirit. Something's happening in your spirit. Can I tell you, saints all over the world are feeling it. Thirdly, out of Lot and Noah, it's 50-50. Lot and his wife were heading out on the road to Canaan land. And what did Lot's wife do? She looked back. Lot was delivered. His wife was turned into a pillar of salt. And a few minutes later was burned up in that same fire destruction. One made it, one didn't. To me, this is a cautionary warning to all who believe in Jesus to stay the course. Church, listen to me. Don't get distracted. Don't tune out right now. Listen to your pastor right this minute. Listen to the word of God. It's time to stop playing games with your Christianity. It's time to stop playing games with church. And it's time right now to commit your life to Christ. It's time to stop looking at everybody else and what everybody else is doing and come back to Jesus. You can't turn back. Don't believe the lie that once you're saved, then there's nothing else you have to do. You're always going to be saved because the Bible is filled with talking about the apostasy, with turning about the great turning away. What what have they turned away from if they had already turned to him? This is a cautionary tale. You can't lose your salvation, but you can walk away from him. You can't just, oh, oh, I lost my salvation. I don't know where it happened to it. See, that's the, that's the demonic deception 
that Satan has brought, and especially into Western culture. Well, you can't ever lose your salvation. You're always so secure. You are secure in him. But if you jump out of his hand, and I believe he'll chase you down. And I believe in this message he's chasing you down. And he's saying it's time to turn back because there's going to be a day it'll be too late to turn back. It's going to be too late to turn back. So turn back today. On a positive side of this 50-50 thing, let's believe for a multi-billion soul harvest before Jesus comes to reach the whole world population of 50% disciples for Jesus. Can we believe for that? Can we believe for that? I want to believe for that. Let's move on. Night and day. The Bible says here that on that day in the night... This tells us that there is going to be a global affair. This is not going to be a one country, one nation, a few nations. This is going to be a global affair because on one side of the world, they're going to be sleeping. And on the other side of the world, they're going to be working. It's going to happen in a moment in the twinkling of an eye on the same day. It's not Santa Claus, you know, Christmas in one part of the world and not in the other. No, it's all going to be the same day, the same hour, the same moment. It's all going to happen. But there will be rest for the righteous. Rest for the righteous. I said rest for the righteous. How do I know? Not only because of 1 Thessalonians 5 that says we will not suffer wrath, but I know because of Jesus' own words. Noah entered the ark with his family, and what does the Bible say? The same day the floodwaters broke out. But where was Noah and his family? Inside the bark bark inside the ark inside the boat what about sodom what about lot the bible says the very day lot left sodom fire and sulfur rained down on those cities but where was lot he was outside the city interesting point to that It was angels that came to get him out. (laughs) Which, according to Scripture, angels are going to be all over the day of the rapture, rescuing us, redeeming, bringing us out. You see, Scripture is so full of truth. And to those who love truth, he will show the way. For God did not appoint us to suffer wrath, but to receive salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. What about you? Every generation has experienced some of the signs that Jesus laid out for us. Every generation since Jesus' day has experienced some of the signs we're going to talk in, in the near future about Jerusalem and about Israel We're going because that's God's super sign. We're going to talk about some other things. We're going to talk about the glorious appearing. We're going to talk about his millennial reign. We're going to talk about his second coming, which is not the rapture. You see, the rapture, simply, he comes in the air, and we meet him there. In the second coming, we come back with him, and he puts his foot on the Mount of Olives. And we'll get into some of that why it's important for us to know. 
you got to know what you're going to be doing in eternity, don't you? And it ain't going to be playing harps on a cloud. Something much more exciting. Much, much more exciting. Some of you have always had this desire to rule and reign. Well, one day you're going to have that desire as long as it's in him. We'll talk about that. We're going to cover the other nations that matter pertaining to the end times. Where is America in that? Where is Europe in that? Where is Russia in that? Where is China in that? We'll talk about some of that, maybe on a Wednesday night, maybe on a Sunday morning, whatever the Lord wills. But today I want to ask you, are you rapture ready? Are you ready for the rapture? Because the rapture can happen at any moment. Many of these signs that we've spoken of are going to be after the rapture. There's nothing holding Jesus back. Even the scripture in Matthew 24, the gospel shall be preached unto all nations and then the end will come. The rapture is not the end. The rapture is the beginning of the end. So the gospel is still going to be preached. We'll talk about that. There's going to be two powerful witnesses, two powerful evangelists that God's going to use. And millions are going to come to Christ in that time. But are you ready for the rapture? And some people say, well, I'll take my chances. If I don't go in the rapture, I'll repent during the tribulation. I've actually had people tell me that. Hey, I'm going to live my life. Then once the rapture comes, I'll know it's time to get serious. And I'll repent and I'll come to the Lord during that time. I want you to look at Hebrews chapter 6 for a moment up on the screen. And listen to the Holy Spirit's warning. It is impossible for those who have once been enlightened, who have tasted the heavenly gift, who have shared in the Holy Spirit, who have tasted the goodness of the Word of God and the powers of the coming age, if they fall away to be brought back to repentance, to their loss... They are crucifying the Son of God all over again and subjecting him to public disgrace. It is my personal belief that if you've heard the gospel and rejected the gospel in this day and hour before the rapture, if you have accepted Jesus Christ and followed him for a short time and decided, like Bob Dylan, he wasn't good for you, what he said. The gospel wasn't good enough for me. If you've rejected Christ, but you knew him and you've rejected him, according to the Holy Spirit in Hebrews, during the tribulation, it will be impossible. Your mind, according to Romans, will be seared. Your conscience will be seared and you will not be able to turn to the Lord. You know who the millions are that are going to come to Christ during the tribulation? It's those who heard the message, those who listened to a sermon like this, but said, I'm not sure I believe that. I don't, I don't understand that. Or those who've never heard the gospel. But when they see the destruction and their idols and their gods falling before them, they're going to begin to cry out to God. And there will be witnesses that will rise up. And there will be people that will rise up. And there will be DVDs. Some of you don't like DVDs. I know you're young. But there will be DVDs that will be found on people's shelves, and they'll pop them in, and there will be messages like this that will be talking about the end times. And they're going to hear the gospel of Jesus Christ. 
and they're going to get saved. Millions upon millions. And then the witnesses are going to come, and they're going to preach the gospel to the whole world. And many multiplied millions are going to get saved. And then they're going to die for the gospel. Martyrs. I want you to stand with me. So what are we to do, Pastor? If you're a believer in Jesus Christ, it's time to shore up your belief. It's time to study. It's time to become a disciple of Jesus Christ. If you want to know what a disciple looks like, go back a few weeks ago. I talked about the resume of a disciple, 10 marks of a disciple. And begin to shore up and say, God, I want to serve you with my whole heart. It's time to say, I can't keep this message to myself. I've got to let others know about it. I've got to make sure our missionaries are getting the message out. I've got to make sure our evangelists are getting the message out. And I've got to make sure I'm getting my message out to the sphere of influence God has given me. And then finally, if you are a believer in Jesus Christ, then it's time. It's time to pray. It's time to say, God, would you reach my son? Would you reach my daughter? God, would you reach my aunt, my uncle, my neighbor, and pray for the lost that are around you? If you're unsure, if you're wavering between two opinions, then today is the day of salvation for you. If you have walked away and walked back from your faith in Christ, if you have walked back from your relationship with Christ, then it's time to walk back to him. He is there with open arms. As long as I'm speaking right now, there is hope. There is a hope, and you can come to him. But do not wait, my friends. Do not wait. Because I'm telling you, the hour is near. The hour is near. Jesus said, work while it is still light, because the night is coming when no man will be able to work. Would you bow your heads and close your eyes? If you're watching online right now, listen to this. It's time. It's time. If you've been playing around with Christianity, if you've been going back and forth, it's time to surrender your life to Jesus Christ. The Bible is very clear on how to do that in Romans 10, 9 and 10. It says if you believe in your heart and you confess with your mouth that Jesus Christ was raised from the dead, then you will be saved. In other words, it is with your mouth that you confess and your heart that you believe and are saved. It's a twofold thing. Jesus has done all the work. Jesus died on the cross. You don't have to. He already did that. He made the ultimate sacrifice. There's no good thing, no good deed you can do to make God love you more. He already loves you so much, so much so that he sent his only son to suffer and die. Your goodness is as filthy rags compared to God's. You can't be good enough for God. So he had to send the perfect sacrifice. He had to send the perfect son who has never sinned. And he took your sin, he who knew no sin, and he took your sin upon his back, and he died for your sin. Your job is believing and receiving and repenting. Turning from your old way of life. Confessing. Saying, God, I have messed up. I'm a sinner in need of a Savior. I humble myself before you. And then receiving the free gift of eternal life. If you're in this room or you're online watching, 
Would you just indicate that by a raised hand to say, that's me. I'm ready to come back to Jesus. I'm ready to repent and turn my life back over to him. Amen. Amen. You can put your hands down. Anyone else want to join these and say, that's me? If you're watching online, you can just put your little hand up right there online. We're going to pray with you. Anybody else, please, I beg of you, don't wait till next week. Don't wait for another time. Today is the day. Thank you, Jesus. Can we pray together? And if you raised your hand, I know who you are, and I'm going to be praying for you and rooting for you and cheering you on. Before I pray, I want to just tell you this quick testimony. I was a young man raised in a Christian home, and my pastor was a master preacher. I mean, just incredible preacher, teacher of the Gospels. But one of the best things he taught and one of the most amazing things he taught was on biblical prophecy. Just amazing, amazing, incredible scholar. And he decided to show a film one night when I was a young man. And on a Sunday night, he took the chance, he took the ire of a lot of the older people in the crowd and showed a movie in church. It was called A Thief in the Night. And it laid out some of the things I talked about it. It was a horrible movie as far as quality compared to today's. But the message was clear. The message was so clear. And do you know what happened that day? I gave my life to Christ. On a message exactly like this. The Bible says that it's the kindness of God that leads us to repentance. But some are saved through fear. I was one of those. You know what I found? Even in the fear of the Lord, there's kindness. Before you drink that poison, I'm going to slap it out of your hands, and it may not seem nice. But I want to get it out of your hands. Why? Because I don't want you to die. Can we pray? And if you raise your hand, just pray this prayer with me. Or you can pray whatever prayer you want. Just repent before God. It's not my words that saves you. It's your own repentance, your own calling out to God. Say, Jesus, I come before you right now. Come on, church. I need you. I need you to come and forgive me of my sins. I have done some things that I'm not proud of. I've hurt others. I've sinned against others. I've sinned against myself. But most of all, I've sinned against you, God. Forgive me of my sins. Wash me clean. I believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Messiah, that he died for my sins, that he was dead in a grave, and that he rose on the third day, and he's alive, praying for me right now. Thank you, Jesus. I believe in you. I believe in God. Come on, church. And I believe in the Holy Spirit. Thank you, God, for forgiving me of my sins. Wash me clean. Make me new. God, fill me with your spirit. I want to live for you all the days of my life. In Jesus' mighty name. And somebody said, Amen. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. We thank you, Jesus. 
The Bible says that the angels in heaven rejoice when one returns to the Lord. Just as the prodigal returns, heaven is rejoicing. Father God, I pray for those who have committed their life, recommitted their life to you, Lord. I pray that you would strengthen them, baptize them in the Holy Ghost. God, help them get into your word. Let the word of God explode in their hearts as they open it up in Jesus' name. We thank you and we praise you for that. Now, final thing, I want you to lift your hands all over this place and I want you to pray for the lost. Come on, intercede for the lost. You know by name, you know by sight. Pray for them by name. Pray for the for the barista at your favorite coffee shop. Pray for the checkout clerk. Come on, pray for them right now. God, we pray for those that we love. We pray for those we, we don't know, but you know them intimately, God. God, we pray for those that we're going to encounter in the streets during Awaken DFW as we go out, God. We pray for those that are going to come onto our property during those family fun nights and give us opportunities to preach the gospel, to share the gospel, to share the love of God. God, we pray for those that are that we have yet to speak to. God, keep them in your loving hands until the moment that someone can share the love of God with them in Jesus' name. God, I pray for the many tens of millions of Americans who still have yet to hear an adequate presentation of the gospel. God, you've sent them here from the nations of the earth. God, some of them have grown up here, and yet they still have yet to hear an adequate presentation of the gospel. God, make us bold witnesses in Jesus' name to preach the gospel to them, to love on them like you love them, God. God, we pray it in the mighty name of Jesus. Empower us, fill us with the Holy Spirit so that we might be witnesses to them. We love you and we praise you. And can you tell them thank you? I love you, Jesus. I love you, Jesus. I praise you, Jesus. You are so good. You are so, so good. You are so good. Hallelujah. We love you and thank you in Jesus' name. Now, God, bless us as we go out. Let us be a light, salt, witnesses for you wherever we go. In Jesus' mighty name. And everybody said, amen, amen. God bless you. Thank you for being here today. Make sure you go and share this online with somebody who needs to hear it. Amen. God bless you. We love you. We'll see you Wednesday night.